Welcome, you're listening to The Difference at Work, a KGA podcast for managers and HR professionals eager to hear from experts and to bring new perspectives to our work. In offering employee assistance and work-life programs, KGA hears from clients every day about their increasingly complex work environments. On our podcast, you'll have a front row seat for conversations touching upon everything from crisis management and substance use to employee engagement and parenting challenges. I am Seth Muller, president of KGA. My guest today is Dennis Mullen, the owner and area director for Club Z Tutoring, located in Chelmsford, Mass. With over 400 franchises, Club Z Tutoring is one of the largest one-on-one tutoring companies in the United States. Club Z provides academic tutoring support to students in all grades and in all subjects. They have staff with specialized education and experience working with students facing learning challenges as well as instructors who can help students with advanced placement AP courses or preparing for standardized tests. In light of the needs of families, in our new COVID reality, Club C has adapted its model to support families by providing individual or small group tutoring, also known as tutoring for student pods. Dennis, it's great to have you here. I appreciate your taking the time and sharing your expertise today. Seth, thank you very much. So let's dive right in. As a provider of employee assistance, KGA hears from families every day about childcare-related challenges. And obviously, with the ambiguity about the way schools will be handled this fall, these questions are becoming more and more exacerbated. And the questions regarding support for education and learning are increasing. So I'm hoping, given your experience, you can describe the school or the learning-related challenges that you're seeing and hearing from parents today. Sure. COVID has presented some really unique challenges. And and one of the things I think that's a difficulty for most parents is that we don't really have a model. This has never really happened before. We didn't have a previous pandemic. And what did we do during that? So everything is kind of being done on an ad hoc basis. And it seems to be, in a lot of cases, from the parents' perspective with schools, it's a one-size-fits-none kind of solution that they're seeing. And many of them have had either ranging from something like an okay to a disastrous experience in the spring, and they really don't want to repeat that in the fall. So they're saying, hey, what kinds of things do I need to think about? A lot of people that I'm getting calls from, as you can imagine, are panicky about it. Uh, You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. And schools are still in the process, I think, with Massachusetts. Today's the, the day to finalize those for schools. So even then, it's at this late point, parents still don't know what all their options are going to be. You use the word panicky. I mean, I, yeah. I think that's not just an in-passing word. That's no very true. People are yeah. really getting worried here. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when you overlay the stresses just from the disease and all the things that relate to it, and now you add this educational issue, parents trying to go back to work. Will I be able to go back to work? What do I need to do? What about my child's education? All those types of things are kind of a perfect storm of bad stuff for parents and students right now. And we're trying to help them sort through those by kind of understanding what are the options available to them, what might be kind of a one thing to think about if they're going to go in this direction and what they might think about if they're going to go in another direction. Let's open that up a little bit. Sure. So I am curious, if I were a parent reaching out to you, how does this begin? What's the process by which you begin to assess needs and think about options? A lot of parents will call it and and either they, again, social media kind of 
unfortunately could be a little bit of a megaphone for all of the concerns and issues. So many people are calling in, hearing different things, reading different things on social media, not knowing what to kind of approach. So one of the first things I try to get parents once I talk them down off the ledge a little bit is, what are your goals? What are you concerned about? What do you want to accomplish? So before they start to kind of say, I want to do this or I want to do that, what's the why behind it? Are you concerned that your child won't stay at grade level? So you need to make sure that you've got the support to do that. Are you concerned that your student won't be able to stay in front of a monitor six hours a day in a remote kind of learning capacity? And you need somebody to kind of oversee that, make sure that they're staying on task. Or are you just kind of fed up with the school approach in total? And you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe homeschooling my child. So you've got that kind of range of different things going on, and, and there's kind of multiple dimensions of that. It's affected by the grades of the student. Obviously, kindergarten students have different needs than high school students who might be taking AP classes or preparing for college. And then you've got the type of learning environment that you want. Do you want to have a singular learning environment? Do you want to do it in a group? And all of those things have some benefits, but they also have some issues that need to be considered when you consider each of those types of options. Got it. So there's obviously age calibration, but what I really took from that was clarifying the family's and the parent's goals and what it is you're trying to get done with that kid. Based on that family's learning objectives then, and of course, calibrating for age, what are the range of services or the different approaches that you're taking with families at this point? There's really four options, kind of, Seth, that they would look at as they're considering, you know, what are the best solution for my child? The first is what I would call kind of academic monitoring, where you're just having somebody come in, make sure the child's staying on task. The next one would be kind of individual tutoring. Student is going to school remotely in a hybrid model, but they need some particular help in a subject area, which whatever that might be. Third is you've got small group tutoring. That's this pod thing that is the big word, the magic word that's kind of out there right now that everybody's hearing about. And that's basically doing that together. And then you've got homeschooling, which is kind of taking your child out of school and going forward that way. That's really helpful. Those four things, Dennis. Thank you. Let's just break each of them down a little bit, if you would. And the first thing you had mentioned, obviously, was the academic monitoring. Can you just open this up a little bit in terms of what this might include and perhaps also help our listeners understand when is this a particularly valuable approach? This type of approach probably works best for parents who want to have lots of time spent with their student. Maybe they're in a a model where they're working from home. They're not able to kind of keep an eye on what their child's doing with the computer. And again, as you talk about younger students, that becomes even more difficult because screen fatigue is very easy. And, you know, a kindergarten first grader has a lot of difficulty there. So the academic monitor would make sure that the student is kind of doing the things that they're supposed to do online and also maybe helping out a little bit with some academic needs, but it's primarily kind of an academic babysitter, for lack of a better term. The good thing is, is you've got lots more options. You might be able to hire a college student to do that, who's working, can kind of come in and kind of help out. You're not really looking for that strong academic support, but rather kind of, are you staying on task? Lots of instruction experience isn't as important as a responsible presence. That's when parents feel that what's going on in class is fine for them. They just want to make sure that the child is actually doing it. Okay, that's really helpful. Let's take a look at the next area you were talking about, which was individual tutoring. Open that up a little bit. When does that feel like it's most applicable and valuable? That happens when students have particular subject area needs. And again, probably from a grade perspective, the higher the grade, the more that need might present itself, you know, with a biology help or 
AP Chem or middle school math, where students are moving from rather simple maths to more complex maths, they may need some supplemental help to help them understand lessons because they don't have that interactive ability through the Zoom that they would normally have in a regular classroom. So they can't ask the types of questions, they can't get the information they need, they can't solve the problem. So you would look at and say, okay, what are your goals? What subject areas? And then kind of set up something that would supplement what's going on in school with really strong individual academic tutoring. That makes huge sense to me. Our daughter is moving from middle school to high school, and both my wife and I are terrified of the math that she's going to be. <laughs> yeah. So that might be valuable for us to consider. So let's open up the small group topic. And you had used the word pods before. I know this is getting a lot of media attention now. What is a pod, and when does this make sense? Pod may be the Merriam-Webster word of the year, if, if we're not careful with going on. A pod is really just a group of students who get together, maybe one, two, several families who have children of the same age and feel that it would be great to have them be tutored together. And again, this can either be supplemental, it can be the academic monitoring, it can take any kind of mode that they want, but they get to share the cost of that. You get a little bit of that social emotional connection that you don't get if you're just sitting in front of a computer. So you get to see other kids and connect and do all that type of stuff. The more people you have, the less you know them, the more complicated that arrangement is going to get. And although it seems like a great solution, it's someplace you need to tread carefully as you're thinking about it. It seems that you would need kids that have a similar level of learning need. Is that particularly Yeah, yeah. And, and that's hard. Because, you know, the herd moves at the pace of the slowest animal in it, if you know what I mean. So yeah, you sure. need to be careful of how you put that together. So some parents are going, oh, well, you have a second grader, I have a second grader. That might be good, but there's lots of things to consider in that, that area. Yeah. yeah. And kids' activity levels and need for activity or ability to focus, I would imagine, makes sure. a huge difference in those small pod environments. From a resource perspective, then, what are the kinds of recommendations or what do you look for in somebody who would be effective at leading and instructing a pod of kids or a small group of kids? Again, depending on the age, you're looking for somebody who has kind of a well-rounded academic background. And I think pods are probably more effective if you're looking at having an extensive number of hours during the week, maybe even having certain specialists come in. So you might have a science person come in, you might have a math person come in, and then you may have an ELA kind of social sciences person. What does ELA mean? Oh, ELA, English language arts, kind of the writing, reading, which is kind of a fundamental concept throughout all subjects. So generally that person would tend to be maybe the key or anchor tutor within that group. But again, depending on the age, one tutor might be able to do it. It may take multiple tutors. And again, that's understanding what are the goals, what are the needs of the individual families, et cetera. And of course, the larger the pod is, the more that range can vary and the more complexity that that entails. If I were to go out with, let's say, three or four other families, all with kids in freshman year of high school, first year of high school, and we have a couple of those specials, what might I expect to pay for somebody? I know there's probably a range, but do I think about this from an hourly perspective? What does this begin to cost? And a lot will depend on the amount of time that goes in. As a, one of the things, if you're contracting individually with a teacher, you have a little bit more flexibility. And quite frankly, that is going to be probably the least expensive alternative for you. It's one person, they don't have the overhead. However, they may not have insurance. They may not have an agreement in terms of what happens if they get sick. How long am I going to tutor? All kinds of different things that go on. So working with maybe somebody who is a tutoring company, say like myself, 
it's going to be a little bit more expensive, but we also have the ability to supplement it with other skill sets. You're looking probably either on an hourly basis, if it's a small amount, anywhere from on an individual, probably $30 up to $60, $50 or $60 an hour. And if it's somebody who is a has a higher degree or higher professional standard, you might be looking at something in the neighborhood of $50 to $80 an hour. Now, if you split yeah. that between four families, you know, now you're coming up with, you know, somewhere between 15 and say $20 an hour as a range for doing that. Got it. And that's very helpful. And I, I really didn't even know how to think about that, actually. So yeah. that's helpful to hear. So we've talked about the academic monitoring, the individual tutoring, the small group tutoring. In relation to these two tutoring models for a kid that might have a special need in a particular subject area. So I myself am dyslectic. I think one of my daughters is, let's just say she's a late bloomer in reading. What advice do you have for parents that have those kinds of concerns about a student and their learning needs? Sure. I mean, I think two things happen here. One is that if the student is on an IEP for the learning issue, they need to make sure that they're getting adequate services from the school. And because the school is somewhat overwhelmed with need in this area, the squeaky wheel gets the grease and we tell parents this all the time. Be an advocate with the school to get as much as you can from the school. If they're looking to supplement that with some additional tutoring, you need to find someone who has that kind of background. For instance, we have tutors who have backgrounds in Wilson Reading or Gillingham, and these are types of reading programs that help students be able to overcome our reading challenges like dyslexia, have them give them the tools that they need to be successful, both readers and writers. So you want to look for those specific skills when you have specific needs, and that's part of that goal setting, you know, that kind of initial thing. What do I need? What do I want to accomplish? What do I need to get? Great. Thank you. Well, let's touch then on the homeschooling, which as I'm asking you this, and this was the fourth of your solutions that you outlined, I'm assuming in some ways this is a wholesale, much bigger decision and perhaps not necessarily something people enter into with a temporary plan in mind. Couldn't have said it better. Absolutely. I think sometimes people conflate the term homeschool with kind of tutoring their students at home in these kind of pod environments. Homeschool is really a term of art. This is, you actually have to go and withdraw your student from the school district. You have to have a present a plan to the school district that says how you're going to instruct the student. This tends to work very well when you have a parent-driven educational need. So the parent can provide some of the education, has a specific idea of what they want to accomplish that they're not getting in school. I think it's a less optimal option for people who are just dissatisfied with school. And sometimes people are getting this kind of knee-jerk reaction, hey, I'm frustrated with school, I'm going to homeschool my child. As you said, it's a way more complicated and involved thing, but there's lots of ranges. You can buy curriculum online, you can sign up for school that will actually have classes. But as you can imagine, the more you have somebody else do, the more costly it is. And if you're going to sign up for online classes, you might as well stay in school. In relation to COVID, If families were already homeschooling, they're probably up and running and this is not their challenge. Correct. But for families looking for how do I get from here until the end of the year or until school opens again, hopefully in the spring or whatever the assumption is, homeschooling is probably not the path most folks are going to take seriously. That's correct. But if they do, there are homeschooling associations that are very, very open. This is a very kind of close-knit community of people who choose this option. And there are actually lots of resources available for people. But as you said right in the beginning, it's not a step to take lightly. It's very, very complicated. And you're really replicating a school year. As we wrap up here, 
And you, of course, are interfacing with parents extensively and discussing their students' needs. Here we are staring into the second half of August. Massachusetts schools are starting at the end of August to mid-September all over the map at the moment. What advice do you have for parents right now? First thing is don't react, plan. Really take a really strong look and see what your goals are and realize that ideally, we hope, this won't last forever. My daughter's a college basketball coach. One of the things she tells her players all the time is you've got to control the controllables. You can't do anything about what's happening in school. You have to adjust to what that is and do the things that you can do that are the best solution for both your family and your child. In a crazy time, that's probably really sage advice, frankly, across the board in our lives. What actually can we make decisions about and manage? Dennis, I would just like to thank you for your time. I've learned a lot. This has been just really helpful and insightful. So I just appreciate what you have shared with us. I hope it's been helpful to your uh, client base. And uh, it is a complicated time. There's no best answers. Sometimes best is the enemy of good. So we're just trying to get what we can to make sure that our students are taken care of. So thanks. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. To learn more about Club Z Tutoring and to reach Dennis Mullen, go to their website at www.clubztutoring.com or call them at 800-434-2582. From KGA, this is The Difference at Work. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you access your podcasts. You can find all of the organizations and resources we've referenced in this episode on our website, www.kgreer.com. That's K-G-R-E-E-R.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn. And if you want to talk further about anything you've heard on this podcast, we hope you won't hesitate to call. We can be reached at 800-648-9557. Thank you for listening.